Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Built Bar. I just powered one down because mornings are tough. Uh, It's a really good energy supplement for me to skip breakfast, do a podcast, have a bar, feel good about myself, and then maybe do a workout even afterwards. So that's been my daily routine here. I usually record mornings. Yeah, well, I mean, it's mornings West Coast. For you, it's it's already lunchtime on the the East Coast there when we record this podcast. But uh, (laughs) that's the way my days have been working since my box of Built Bars arrived, which I need to re-up. And if you want to re-up, use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. We've got the rest of Matt Williamson's Dynasty rookie rankings today we went through the first 16 picks yesterday we'll go through the rest of his list I think down to maybe about 40 uh, and we'll go a little bit faster today but uh, we didn't really finish talking much about the schedule last week Matt so I think we should start off by getting into the schedule a little bit more before we jump into some more of these dynasty football rankings and I know your guy Warren Sharp uh, has some really good information at his website that you wanted to dig into a little bit when it concerns this schedule in 2020. Yeah, I mentioned by his metrics, which are based off of, you know, projected win totals from Vegas, that the Colts had the easiest schedule by a pretty wide margin. The Falcons have the worst. And I mentioned some of the ones, you know, near on both ends of the spectrum. But on his, um, he actually has two sites. On Sharp Football Stats, you can also see how he projects against respective offenses they're going to face and against respective defenses they're going to face. So, I found this interesting that when you look at the offensive efficiency of the opponents, so, you know, we're talking about how, how difficult the offenses teams are slated to face. The Ravens have the easiest schedule followed by Tennessee, Cleveland, the Chargers, Steelers, Cowboys. They face the easiest offenses per his metric, the Falcons, Panthers, your Niners, Vikings, Bucks, Eagles face the most difficult offenses per his metric. And then you can sort it by defense. My Steelers supposedly face the easiest slate of defenses in the entire league, followed by the Colts, Ravens. I keep finding the Ravens on all these strength of schedule things being very favorable. Jags, Vikings, Bears. And then the teams that face the most difficult defenses, the Dolphins, which if that comes to fruition maybe they're a better offense than we think. You know, they're taking steps forward, but it just doesn't show. The other ones that are at the bottom of the list in terms of really difficult defenses on the slate are Seattle, the Rams, the Giants, the Bills, and the Cardinals. So something to consider, you know, a little bit of a fantasy nugget too, you know, just something to keep an eye out on. I'm trying to find a correlation there with some of those. Obviously, uh, the, the NFC West teams, it's a tough division, so the 49ers have to play the Seahawks, and the Seahawks and Cardinals, you mentioned, have to play the 49ers. Arizona has to play the Seahawks and the 49ers, so you can see how those sort of line up. Um, the Ravens, the the defenses they're playing, their strength of schedule for the defenses they're playing was on the low side. Is that correct? On the easy side. Yeah. I mean, they're they're near the, the the most favorable schedule on both sides. To wow. be honest, okay. with you. they're third against defense, third easiest slate of defenses, first um, slate of offenses. So I'm not exactly sure how he comes up with those metrics because I would imagine a lot of that has to be based off last year to actually put numerical values on them. And 
for example, the Steelers offense is going to be better, of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, it almost there's nowhere to go but up. Right. So I don't put as much stock in that as I do with his overall strength of schedule. But I just wanted to highlight the ones at the top and bottom. And his overall strength of schedule is based on Vegas win totals, right? Yes, okay. exactly, which I think is a really good metric to use. I, I like that. <laughs> For right now, the people that have the skin in the game, it's, it's at least better than looking at 2019 record. Right, right, uh, without question. I mean, at least those people in the desert are getting close to equal action on both sides of it, and you know, you figure out the, the average of you know, the, the most uh, of all the teams you play. And, and if you dig deeper, you can find who, how many top five teams do they play? How many bottom five teams do they play? So that kind of stuff. Really quick before, uh, and I have a couple more notes on some games yeah. that I think are interesting coming up this year, a couple of stadiums that are opening. Um, the first game, September 10th, Thursday is the one that everyone hopes if that happens, then that's great news for the rest of the schedule the Super Bowl champion Chiefs are hosting the Texans. But uh, I just saw a little nugget on Twitter from Albert Breer who said he's heard the league is kicking around the idea because he was asked the question of what happens if there aren't fans and this season turns out that revenue is low and instead of the salary cap going up $20 million as teams might be might have planned on next year, that the salary cap actually needs to go down because of what happens with revenue during this odd NFL season. And he said that he's heard that the league, so we've, we've talked a lot about flattening the curve during this pandemic. He talked about flattening the salary cap, which essentially the league would borrow from future years to make sure that next year the cap doesn't go down. So maybe if in instead of 2021, maybe if in 2022 and there's a new TV deal, maybe if the if that is when the salary cap could balloon and go up a little bit, instead of it going up 20, 30 million, then they would borrow 15 million of that toward the 2021 cap to make sure, you know, it's more of a, a flattened curve of salary cap to where it doesn't go down too much and maybe doesn't go up as much as expected and then gradually goes back up in later years and they borrow from those future years. So I thought that was an interesting comp concept. So teams won't get completely screwed if, if they planned on having $25 million more in cap space than they actually get next year. I, I guess that makes sense. I would have to think about that more. You threw a lot of information at me at once that's you know <laughs> economic based and went a little over my head. I know but, you weren't prepared hey, for that. We were on that one. We didn't even talk I mean, about that one, beforehand. Go ahead. So. I'm sorry. No, I was just sorry. I threw that out. We didn't even talk about that beforehand. So that's that, right. that is a lot to lay on you. I, I mean, my one thought was, well, yeah, that sounds good for teams and owners and whatnot, but some players who are worth more now than next year aren't going to be real happy about it. Yeah, and I wonder how many players maybe said, okay, well, look, this year's weird, so let's wait, and I'll cash in next year when the cap's bigger. Now the cap's not going to be bigger next year, potentially. And so do they say, well, shoot, now we've got to sign, or maybe teams will cry poor and guys won't get as much as they thought, or maybe a lot of teams that had planned on a bigger cap are going to have to lose players, so there's a lot more free agents available next year than expected. So there's a, definitely a big impact if the salary cap changes as much as you know $20 million, which it could. Yeah, or a clowny that's still out there. Does mm -hmm. he take the quick deal and then hit the market again a year from now, or does he lock it up now when he under, you know, and takes the bird in the hand? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, this isn't exactly where we were going with it, but it sounds, and you'd be probably more on top of this than me, sounds favorable that other leagues might be playing by July, which would team, which would you know team up pretty well with the the NFL schedule in terms of making things happen. Right, and I wonder how much revenue, 
and somebody I'm sure out there knows this and hit me up on Twitter at BD Peacock. Find Matt at Williamson NFL. If you know the answer to this, what percentage of the league's revenue comes from butts in the seats? Because uh, if the, as long as they're playing and there's TV money, which is the biggest money, you know, it's not going to completely crash and burn. But there is potential that some of these September, October games, there's not actually people in the stands. And even yeah. if it was completely open, like, I don't know how you feel about it, but if if tomorrow every every mayor of every city and every governor of every state's like, all right, we're going to reopen. How comfortable would you feel going standing shoulder to shoulder next to somebody in a stadium? See, I'm aggressive that way. I mean, I've been out and about more than probably most of our listeners. I go to my radio show. I'm the one that does all the grocery shopping. And I guess I've been lucky, but it hasn't affected me. And I've been careful, but not super careful. And I'm young and dumb, I guess, or old and dumb, I guess, at this point. So I would be apt to go. I mean, if people think it's fine, I mean, I'd probably feel a lot better if we had better testing and if there was some kind of semblance of a cure available, you know, a, a vaccine. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, that would be a big hurdle, obviously. Yeah, that would be a huge one. And I wonder if people you go to the stadium and like you cheer, but then you're wearing a mask still. So that it's like right. this weird muted cheers happening in stadiums. I'm sure by September, I mean, it's still a ways away. We have some time and seeing how other leagues respond will really help the NFL. And and really, the NFL got lucky with the timing of this whole thing because they've been helped out the most by being able to still work a virtual offseason and having an opportunity for other teams to try to do things first on the field before they open up. With their yeah, they got super lucky. Yeah, I mean, crazy. Didn't change the combine. OK, you, I mean, Compared to other leagues, if you lose pro days and mini camps, and that's about it, right? That's, not, you know, that's like yeah. nothing compared to hey, the hockey playoffs should be going on right now. You know what I mean? The the game that's going to get talked about the most on the schedule. To bring it back to the schedule, really quick, yeah, yeah. Uh, one last game here: the Tom Brady debut with the Buccaneers at New Orleans in Week One. Tom will get to play in Tampa at home against the Panthers in Week Two, but uh, that on the road against New Orleans, a divisional matchup. Two teams that have playoff aspirations, Breeze, Brady. That's a huge week on week one matchup that uh, I think is probably going to be the marquee game in week one that we hopefully get to see. And it'd be nice to have some fans in the stands for that one, too. Yeah, I was there thinking, I was like, I bet Brady won't mind if the, the Superdome's empty for that one. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's tough place true. to walk into. Yeah, good point. You know, with all the communication he does at the line of scrimmage, new team, maybe not a preseason, all the timing routes and stuff on that offense. Yeah, that's not an easy chore for the Bucks, and I would not overreact if it goes very poorly for T-Bay and Brady. The Saints actually have a lot of the best games. There's some really solid Chiefs matchups. Uh, I can't wait to see the 49ers, uh, or, um, sorry, the Saints. The 49ers-Saints rematch from last year yeah. was almost a 100-point barn burner. Again, that one's in New Orleans Week 10. Should be uh, more playoff implications. So, yeah, a lot of fun games on the schedule. One game I noticed that was not a big name one, but I just happened to Google, you know, best games is week two. The Bengals go to the Browns on Thursday night, which everyone, oh, we'll see Burrow on primetime. And I'm sitting there thinking this poor guy's second career start is going to be with like half a practice on four days rest. Like, that's not so great. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's some <laughs> potentially a matchup with the Bengals and Chargers early in the season, but I just don't think Justin Herbert's going to be the starter yet. So we're not going to get to see Herbert versus Burrow, unfortunately, in that Chargers-Bengals uh, matchup. Along those lines, though, I just read today, Tua's jerseys are leading sales, and he's, I think he's about ready to sign. 
that he's been the most bought jersey since the draft, which, hey, I could buy that. Yeah, he has officially signed four years, $30.275 million, and apparently it's a front-loaded contract. He's going to get $11 million of his $30 million, like this month. Does that make you think that they're not worried at all about health? I would think that just by the fact that they drafted him, that they're not too yeah. worried about health, but maybe paying him a lot more now means that there's less... There's more outs later, so maybe it's maybe it's both. Maybe uh, it's like, look, yeah, we drafted yeah. him, and we're cool, but let's pay him now, and let's not lock up too much future money so that if we do have to get out of this contract in year three, we can. A lot yeah, you've been banged that. up for two years, and you're killing us, and we want to get out. That would make some sense, yeah. Give yourself that option, yeah. and then hopefully in three years, instead of trying to figure out how to get out of the contract, you are figuring out how to re-sign him long-term. Yeah, uh, it makes some sense to me. Speaking of Tua, we have not had any quarterbacks, Matt, on your dynasty rankings yet. We'll go through the top 16 that we talked about yesterday and then jump into the rest of your list next. Folks, I want to tell you about the Built Bar. You maybe haven't heard of them yet, but trust me, you're going to hear about them a lot because they're a new sponsor on the Locked On Network. They sent me a box the other day, and the box is gone. My family just crushed it. So, they're going to be a popular thing in the Williamson household. I think you need to check them out too. They're they're tasty. I mean, my kids honestly don't care about the the wonderful uh, you know, attributes that's it's making their bodies. They just want to eat good stuff. And it, it's a protein bar that really does taste like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors. Eight of them are chocolate and nut flavors. And the other eight are chocolate and nut-free flavors. We know a lot of people have allergies and whatnot. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and trust me, around here, my family, especially my wife, is they're chocolate connoisseurs, and they certainly approve. It's soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight, weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, but it doesn't taste that way, trust me. Um, here's the flavor, flavor profile. Like a peanut butter brownie one has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, only three grams of sugar, three grams of net carbs. Um, the mint brownie one is 15 grams of protein, only 110 calories, four grams of sugars, five grams of net carbs. So, folks, do this. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, we, we are going to have some quarterbacks show up on Matt Williamson's Dynasty Rookie Rankings for 2020. And let me run through these first 16 on your rankings from, if you want to listen to that show, yep. go back to Monday's episode. One, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and the top five are all running backs in this order. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from the Kansas City Chiefs, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor, Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins, Rams running back Cam Akers four, and Detroit Lions running back DeAndre Swift Number five, then a couple of wide receivers pop in here. Jerry Judy, six, CeeDee Lamb from Dallas, seven, Jalen Rager, eight, Michael Pittman from the Colts, nine, two Colts in your top 10 here, uh, Justin Jefferson from the Vikings, 10, and 49ers wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, 11. You might say, hey, wait a second, there's another first round receiver that hasn't shown up yet. Uh, you would be correct. Keyshawn Vaughn running back for the Bucks is 12, and then Henry Ruggs, the first wide receiver selected in the NFL draft, shows up at number 13 on Matt's list. Go back to Monday's show to find out why Ruggs is 13. Then T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, and LaVisca Chenault is 14, 15, and 16, all wide receivers there. So that is the top 16 on Matt Williamson's 
2020 Rookie Dynasty rankings. And I think there is a little teardrop after that 16th. Yeah. And and you didn't tell me that, but I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, there's there's a tier after 7 in CeeDee Lamb, I think. And then there's another tier between 8 and 16. And now we're getting into who do you like? Who do you Who's the landing spot? upside versus maybe a more of a safe prospect so this gets interesting with number 17 and it starts with a couple more running backs anthony mcfarland 17 and packers 250 pounder aj Dillon 18 yeah and, and you're right i think that most people would have those 16 in whatever order they like um but then there is kind of a line drawn at that point you mentioned the quarterback situation if this were super flex I would have Burrow first overall. I'd have Tua somewhere between like two and six. And then the Superflex League I just did, I took um, Herbert at 10. So uh, much different, obviously. It's just a supply and demand situation. That's why there's no quarterbacks as high. And when you get to this point in the draft, like especially third round, but later in the second round, it's never a bad idea to grab running backs that have talent but have a pretty conceivable path to playing time. Mm-hmm. And you might get nothing out of them a year from now, but it's not hard at all to think of Dylan McFarlane, Moss, you know, a lot of these Josh Kelly. I mean, a lot of these middle round talented running backs that one year from now, one of the hurdles in front of them for playing time is gone or hurt or moved, you know, old. And the turnover is just so great that if you can stockpile mid-round running backs in Dynasty, it often pays off. Most of the time, their value increases over by the time that the offseason rolls around. I like that theory on those next tier of running backs. And I think McFarland, A.J. Dillon, uh, Zach Moss, those types of players. Even Darrington Evans has a little bit of a path sneaky. there. Yeah, yeah, sneaky there. And he ranks... 23 for you so it was uh McFarland to 17 Dylan 18 then you have a couple of wide receivers here Chase Claypool 19 Brian Edwards 20 Zach Moss 21 Antonio Gibson 22 Darrington Evans 23 so very different running backs in that crew I understand Brian Edwards and Chase Claypool completely those wide receivers I think they're pretty obvious they're going to show up and not be one of the top two or three wide receivers on their roster initially but I could absolutely see either one of them becoming starters when you look ahead a year or two with both Chase Claypool and Brian Edwards. But I want to focus on these running backs real quick because you talked about McFarlane and Dylan, but Antonio Gibson, gadget player, running back wide receiver. Is he going to count in both in leagues? I haven't really seen how he's shown up in, in systems yet for, uh, for dynasty and fantasy purposes. I like him better at running back. um, But you know, it's just, he's basically both. And so you would might be able to get that added value of him being available in both positions for your fantasy team. Uh, Darrington Evans, obviously big play guy, fast, but no clear path to being the guy short term. But Derrick Henry, Tennessee, you could see how there could be a path with either injury or he's in the last year of his contract or he's under a franchise tag there. Then maybe there might be some room there for Darrington Evans if he shows up big as a rookie and they can't get a long term deal done. And then Zach Moss is an interesting one because. I don't know how the Buffalo Bills are going to do this. There's no clear first down, third down roles for Moss and Devin Singletary. So is it going to be a 1A, 1B? Is it going to be like you don't want either one of those guys? Do you want both? Are they going to run the ball that much? That's a tough one for me in Buffalo. Yeah, and I liked him better before we found out his landing spot. Um, I mostly had him as like my running back six or so going into the draft. And I don't love where he landed, and it's a little less clear than some of these other ones. Um, I I don't know that McFarland will ever be a lead back, but I don't think Connor will be back next year. 
in Green Bay, I think they'll bring back Aaron Jones, and that's why Dylan's a little lower for me than than some people. But I think Jamal Williams will be long gone, and it'll be a Dylan Jones two headed monster. And they obviously have intentions to use him. Gibson's a tough one, and most people have him closer to like seventeen. I have him at twenty two. I like them. I think you and I talked about this. Like we liked them a lot talk going into the NFL draft, but as a fifth rounder, you know, as a specialty guy, as a bring him along slow guy, I, I don't know that he's going to be an instant impact player for the Redskins. I think, yeah, I just I think Gibson's more of a fun piece for a real team, a real offensive coordinator to yeah. try to utilize than he will be a big time fantasy contributor. Because I don't think he's a running back or a wide receiver at this point, and I, I, I right. like him I think better. He's right, and I like him better at running back, where he can be a third down guy. You can pump him balls out of the backfield. He can line up wide, get on a linebacker or a safety, create some mismatches. I don't like him lining up against cornerbacks. I just don't think he's going to get open enough. At least from what I saw from him in college, and obviously he's got a ton of ability, and he could develop into something. But third down back role is what I see for Antonio Gibson. That makes the most sense for me. Uh, Brian Edwards at twenty. Or do you find that people have him lower or higher? Because I feel like you might like Brian Edwards more than some people based on his where he was drafted in round three. And there's a couple. And Joe Burrow finally actually shows up here at number 25. It would seem to me that most of these quarterbacks are probably not going to end up on Matt Williamson's roster based on where you have him ranked versus where I think teams will go. And if I'm drafting in that first couple of tiers that we talked about is gone. I might be drafting one of those quarterbacks at 17 to try to hit a home run long-term with my quarterback. Yeah. And I had no qualms with that. And I've seen Burrow. I've done three dynasty or four dynasty drafts and Burrow's always gone mid second roundish, you know, for that exact reason. Then yeah. I'd love him. I just would rather, it's just a philosophy thing. I'm going to roll the dice on wide receivers and running backs and you can always patch in quarterbacks, but I think Burrow's a great prospect and a great landing spot. Um, Edwards is another one. I thought I was really high on him, but I'm not ending up with him on my roster anywhere. Um, but I would rather take Edwards at 20 than rugs at 13. Interesting. Yeah. So just for fantasy and volume, I, I picture cause Lynn Bowden went actually a pick before Brian Edwards, but almost like Antonio Gibson. And we haven't seen Lynn Bowden show up in your rankings, by the way, who might be a nice little value selection for, for people that him all over the I almost don't want to talk about him because I don't know what to do with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, for people that want Antonio Gibson, just wait a while. Cause if you can get Lynn Bowden around later, and I think he actually provides more value as the as a closer to finished product, we'll say, uh, yeah, than, than, than Antonio Gibson does. But uh, who are we talking about there? Um, we're talking about, oh yeah, Brian Edwards. So there's a total path where I could see Brian Edwards, obviously, is, is going to be tough because he was the third wide receiver drafted in this class, and there's already a bunch of guys in-house in Las Vegas, but if you're looking down the road a year or two, I could absolutely see him being the number two and maybe even more of the number one target possession guy with Ruggs being the big play guy on the other side and Brian Edwards actually being the guy who gets the most targets in Las Vegas. That, that's my thoughts too, is that when you when you project it, I mean, I don't think Tyrell Williams is there for the long term and he doesn't worry me. Like Renfro's a nice player, but he's much different than these guys. I think Edwards might be the high volume guy two, three years down the road. Um, we uh, I wanted to throw another little nugget, too, on Darrington Evans because I have him at the end of the second round, and he may get 25% of the touches out of the backfield this year. Fine. And people look at him like he's a Deion Lewis replacement. I don't think he's that type of back. He's not real shifty, a lot of make you miss, break you down, break your ankles. He actually runs more like Henry, where mm -hmm. you give him a track and he hits it. He's just not as big. He's not doesn't 
you know, he's not the size of a defensive end. So I'm not saying he's going to be their lead back, but I don't think Henry's back after the year. I think, you know, all of a sudden that Evans is that perfect example of free agency ends next year. Henry's on Atlanta or whatever, and he's sitting atop the depth chart before the draft. And all of a sudden you could trade him for a first round pick. You know what I mean? Like right. his value could really go up. And Derrick Henry is the type of runner. He's so tall and big. I feel like there's a, and I could be wrong, but and, and usually backs that are 250 pounds, you're like, oh, this guy's safe because he can take the pounding, right? And people say that about mm-hmm. uh, A.J. Dillon in this draft. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. The, the the more hits you take, the more hits you take. And that's, you know, with his long legs and the way he's uh, the way he's built, I see uh, an injury possibility there, too. So Darrington Evans could be that sneaky running back that the casual fan doesn't even know his name right now. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, trying to pick him up in, in week 11 in their fantasy leagues and he's long gone because people like you and I already had him on their roster because of those very reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's the days and confused article. I mean, I like high school girls cause they say the same age, you know <laughs> I mean? <laughs> I don't care who you are, a quarterback, running back, whatever you get older and defenses don't. Right. Yep. Yep. And those rookie running backs, there's, there's always those. And there's plenty of them in this class that could be that guy. Darrington Evans, definitely one of them is not someone you have to draft early. Uh, definitely not in your fantasy and not in your dynasty drafts either. Okay, let's get more into the quarterbacks. Joe Burrow is your 25th overall, which in most leagues would be the first pick in round three. Tua makes an appearance. We'll run through the next, uh, well, down through about 40 or so coming up. Okay, uh, we didn't mention Van Jefferson. He's at 24 for you. So 25, Joe Burrow, quarterback from LSU, then KJ Hamler, slot receiver from Denver, 26. Joshua Kelly, running back, 27. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa shows up at 28, quarterback for Miami. Devin Duvernay, wide receiver, is 29. Antonio Gandy-Golden is 30. Then some tight ends show up, but let's focus on that group, 25 through 30. And obviously the quarterbacks are Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa at 25 and at 28. I think you got to put Burrow ahead of Tua. I don't expect Tua to make make up for it with his legs. They're both good runners. Tua's a better runner, but he doesn't have the cheat code that Josh Allen does, you know. So, and I think Miami's going to run the ball a lot, at least early in his career. And he's injured, you know, I mean, injury situation. So Burrow has to be ahead of him. Um, I like Hamler. I like the pick for Denver. I just don't know how many passes they're going to, how many targets is he going to get the first couple of years? You know, he's another one that's better for real life than is for fantasy. And he always seems to get picked in that like 22 range, not by me. And I'm always happy to see him go. I think he's a bigger name than he is for fantasy. And you got to decipher those things. Um, Duvernay and Gandy Golden are both really interesting to me at 29 and 30. I like both players. I had good grades on them coming into the draft. I think Gandy Golden has very little in front of him, but he fell further than I expected in the draft. So that's a little bit of a red flag. Uh, Duvernay, I think, was a steal by the Ravens, but it's just not a high-volume passing game. And I thought the Ravens were going to attack somebody with more of a catch radius than Duvernay, and Duvernay is an interesting style of player. Not somebody I would target because I just don't see the future volume for Duvernay, um, and similarly with Hamler, which we had talked about Brian Edwards. I'll take Brian Edwards over Hamler all day, but I would yeah. imagine Hamler gets picked in front of him just because he was a higher draft pick and, you know, that explosive speed. But, you know, a pure slot guy at best a number three in Denver, how much are they going to throw the ball? I just don't see the value long-term in K.J. Hamler, which is why I'm taking quarterbacks in this range if I'm, you know, versus some of the names I'm seeing here show up. You know, Joe Burrow and Tua 
especially. Uh, I want to get to the next quarterback on the list that doesn't show up until 35, which is Justin Herbert. How big is that gap between those top two quarterbacks and then Herbert at 35 and you have Jordan Love just outside of your top 40? Minimal, to be very honest with you, because I do think Herbert will run. I think it's going to be a little while till we see him. I would have no qualms if someone took him at 29. I mean, if you were a little short on your quarterback depth chart, you probably won't start him his entire rookie year. So, I mean, that 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 hurts him a little bit just from a fantasy perspective, having him sit on your roster. Who knows? Maybe he comes in and he's a, a good fantasy guy like a Josh Allen was. And frankly, maybe I'm being a little rough on him. I just like some of these other dudes in between just because they're take a shot on Lynn Bowden or P Ryan or one of these tight ends or DuVernay or Gandy Golden, one of those types. But Herbert's probably too low on my list at 35. I don't have a problem with where he is. I would probably target Jordan Love super late if I had, say, the last pick in a, in a rookie draft and he was still on the board. I would swing for that because I think there's a chance that things go south as far as feelings in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is at some point is like, you know what, this 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 storyline could get ugly quick and Rodgers tries to force his way out after year one and, and Jordan Love might play a little bit early than the, the two to three year window that they're talking about because rookie quarterbacks, if they're going to play, they play before years two and three in this day and age. It just doesn't happen anymore. This isn't 2005 anymore. And Rodgers was kind of the last guy to really do that, right? Where he actually sat for a while and it's because he had a Hall of Famer in front of him. So obviously if Rodgers does stick around in Green Bay. It might be a while for Jordan Love, but I have a feeling that'll end sooner than the Packers projected when they made that selection. But another interesting group here in your 30s is there's tight ends, and the first three tight ends show up. You have them listed as Troutman, Adam Troutman in New Orleans, Devin Asiasi for the New, uh, for the New England Patriots, and then at 36, Cole Kmet, which is interesting because that's not the order they were drafted. In fact, it's opposite. No, and... If anyone listened to my tight end rankings going into the draft, I had Troutman one, Komet two. I think Ossie was four. But we were talking off the air. I mean, New England, I really think he's a good athlete. He's a one-year producer. But I think his best football is ahead of him. New England knows what they're doing at the tight end position. I mean, there's nothing in front of them. They did draft Keen as well. But Ossie to me, is clearly the better prospect. And I love what the Saints did. I mean, they trade up like crazy to go get Troutman in the post game or in the post draft press conference. They're like, we got three guys in our top 50 overall. I mean, Jared Cook probably won't be in his way for long. Maybe he won't play with Breeze much, but they'll scheme him up. And there's a lot of ability there. It's not really a knock on Komet. I just think he's a little bit more of a monotone athlete than those guys. And the Bears have 8,000 tight ends on their roster. It's strange. All of those tight ends ran like the identical 40 time too. And you look at their workout numbers, like how do you separate those guys? How did, how did they see Cole Komet as someone worthy of an, a high second round pick? And then Troutman falls to the end of round three. So those are some of the things yeah. that I didn't understand with how the way the draft fell. I love the landing spot for Troutman. I have no problem with Troutman being the top tight end. And if he slides, he'd probably be someone I would attack there in round four of my dynasty drafts. Do you have a favorite sleeper? When it comes to these things, I like Lynn Bowden here, who's in your 30s. Um, I'm trying to find some players that would be like, oh, this would be my guy that I'd be drafting in the fourth round of every dynasty draft. I, I, I have a habit of collecting high upside tight ends that sit on my roster for two years, and I never can check the box on Sunday to start them. So Troutman, Ossie Ossie certainly were two of those types. 
You mentioned Bowden. I'm very excited about him as a player. I think he brings a lot to an offense. But I think the Raiders are going to try to throw the ball to Jacobs more. It's amazing how little they did that. I've had uh, he's been my my riddle. I mean, I've had him as high as like 24 on this board. He's at 33 now, which is probably the lowest. Uh, tomorrow he could be back at 26. You know, I keep moving him around, but I don't know how he's going to get a lot of touches. Jalen Hurts, last one here. He's outside of your top 40. Uh, probably yeah. will go undrafted in a lot of rookie dynasty drafts. He might sneak into the fourth round, depending on what team's looking at it at quarterback. There's no long-term path for him to play, but there's an earlier short-term path for him to potentially get some snaps and maybe with injury with Carson Wentz to actually play as a rookie versus guys like Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. I guess, yeah. I mean, I would think there's probably a better chance that Hurts gets on the field than Love. I would imagine Herbert probably takes over at some point late in the year, but it could be a while. And there's, if anyone's going to design a package to get them on the field with their current quarterback, I would think it's Philadelphia. I, I didn't love him coming into the draft, though. I mean, so in a super flex, he goes like in the second round, and, and he has a lot more value. But I just think Wentz is a star. Versus how you have them ranked, have you recognized any players here now that you've run a couple of drafts who are the Williamson guys where you're getting them every time because you have them ranked a lot higher than everybody else? Rager and Pittman early on are certainly ones that I target. Um, McFarland and Claypool, and I don't mean to sound too much like a Steeler homer, but I have those guys pretty high. Edwards as well. I haven't gotten him, but I'm always just missed or just took someone right ahead of him. And definitely those tight ends, the Troutman, Aussie, Aussie guys later on. No, I, I mean, I don't have a lot of, quote, Williamson guys. I mean, there's – it's more philosophical. I'm going to accumulate wide receivers and running backs, and I like getting the Darrington Evan types for all the reasons we mentioned earlier. Just his value could go up a lot after this year. And then I trade him for something I really like. The very last guy on your list, and he's not even ranked here, but the the second, third round tight end for the Patriots, Dalton Keene. I wouldn't sleep on him either. And if you draft no. Devin Asiasi and Keene is still there at the very end of the draft or in free agency after the draft, swoop him up because I think there's almost just as much a chance that Keene ends up being the guy in New England as Asiasi. And obviously, New England liked him just about as much and, and targeted him for a reason. And I like the way he runs after the catch and, you know, maybe a George Kittle light style of player. I'm, I'm not going to say he's that type, type of player, but that style of player potentially get him in space, let him run a little bit. And he's he'll block enough to get on the field too. So I, I don't hate Dalton Keene. If you draft Asiasi, get Keene too, and, and make sure you hit on that new England tight end. Cause I think one of them will be pretty valuable. Yeah, it's a good call. Um, one more name I want to throw out to you that did not make my board but was pretty well-known name coming into the draft is Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, I thought he was way overrated when I mean, people were talking about him like the third-round pick. He ended up going in the sixth, I think, to Cleveland. But how long are Landry and Beckham going to be there? And is Higgins the clear number three? Like, that's not a bad landing spot for a, a highly talented player. Right, yeah, and he was a big-time recruit going to Michigan, yeah. and he has all the physical tools and jumped through the roof at the Combine. And so he wasn't someone who was going to play early anyway, so you have that built-in discount now that he fell to the sixth round where I don't think he's going to get on the field any later now than he would have if he was drafted in round three because he was still a bit raw and more of a project player. So bet on that upside late. That's not a bad one to throw out there. I like that. Yeah, I mean, if we can watch him in the preseason or you see that he's – fourth on the depth chart and pushing for third. 
Beckham gets hurt. You know, I mean, it doesn't take much for him to make a name for himself. All right, we're out of time here, Matt. Good stuff. That is the Matt Williamson Dynasty Rookie Rankings for 2020. If you don't like him, yell at him at WilliamsonNFL on Twitter, and we'll be back tomorrow right here, Locked on NFL.